Welcome to the Community Fellowship Podcast, your way to stay connected with biblically-themed messages, discussions, and interviews from Community Fellowship in East Bernard, Texas. Learn more about our church at the cfeb.church website, check us out on social media at CF East Bernard, or attend an in-person service at 635 Main Street in East Bernard. We are a local church that works to make the love of Christ for all humanity known to our community and the world. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this week's content. Well, good morning. I didn't say that a minute ago, so I want to make sure that I say it again right now. Good morning. So last week, we started a series in Acts chapter 2. Um, and if you remember, uh, we were talking about what the church, the early church, committed themselves to. And so what I asked and what I hoped uh, would be kind of the prayer over this time together for the next few weeks was that we as a church, we would just stop and evaluate how well are we doing in these four different areas. And if you remember last week, we talked about the apostles' teaching, the apostles' message, which can also be called the gospel message. And we said that there are three distinctives to the gospel message, to the apostles' message. And those three distinctives were a sense of urgency, um, recognition that Jesus is fulfilling the Old Testament as Messiah, and the final one was the importance of the resurrection to that message. And then we also looked at the three responses to the gospel message. And this is part of the response to the gospel message. Anytime someone is genuinely making a response to the gospel message, these three things are going to be present. It's repentance from sin, receiving the Holy Spirit, and a reorientation of our identity. So that was last week. This week, we're moving into the next one, which is fellowship, which is much more fun to be able to talk about and be able to present, but also shouldn't be quite as lengthy in the meat of what it is. But I want to start out this way. So several years ago, Emily and I were just, uh, we were part of a church. And for the first time, because we'd been in ministry for so long, we got to be part of a community group. And this community group was people that were roughly our same age. They had kids our age. They lived in the same kind of neighborhood. It was an incredibly great group for us. We loved it. We were so excited about it until one fateful day. And I was kind of the leader of this group, so it really was kind of my fault in the way that I said something, because we were growing so tremendously. We were doing such a great job of more people coming in and growing that I said, okay, well, listen, we're going to need to break up. You never, ever, ever use the word break up, ever, right? Nobody likes to hear that word. I don't want to break up, right? That's never a good word. And so unbeknownst to me, the host home, they had already kind of decided how that was going to go, right? They'd already got in their mind, well, these people are going to be with us. These people are going to be over here. And, and so the host um, mom, the host wife, shared what she thought the group should look like. And unfortunately, there was another lady in the group that did not like that division. So she got a little bit upset because there was a couple of people that she wanted to get to know better that she didn't know. And so she didn't like that. All of a sudden, they start to get in a little bit of disagreement. Well, that disagreement breaks out into an all-out fight, and people are literally running out in the front yard because they're so upset. 
So you can imagine this was not a great day. It was, it was actually pretty sad. It was a really sad experience for us to see a group that was thriving and growing with such vitality that just quickly just spiraled out of control. So this morning, as we look at Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, I want us to see together four important behaviors that must be present to protect genuine biblical fellowship. But first, I want us to turn back to that Acts 2 passage. We're going to read it again real quick because there's a, a specifically something I want to point out in it, and then we'll go into that Colossians passage, okay? So Acts 2, if you've got your Bible, starting in verse 42, we're going to read there again. You're going to be so familiar with this passage by the end of these four weeks. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to break, breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Okay, so as we look at fellowship, which is that second word, right, in the first verse, verse 42, that word fellowship in the Greek, you've probably heard it before, maybe you've seen it before, or maybe you've even seen it used as a program title before, quanania, quanania, okay? That word means to have in common, to hold in common. But what I love that Luke does, and I want you to see this, look back in, in verse 42, or verse 40, I think it's 44, excuse me, verse 44 Look what he says. He says, they have everything in common. So he gives a clarification. He says, they have everything in common. So we've got to stop and we've got to ask ourselves right here, what do they have in common? What are these early believers, what do they have in common? Well, there's a few things that they don't have in common, okay? The first thing they don't have in common is that they don't have the same language or cultures. Remember, we looked last week as, as these people are coming in from different cities are coming back in to Jerusalem for the, for the Feast of Pentecost. And so they're from all these different places because the apostles spoke in their language and they heard that. So they're coming from all these different places. So that's the first thing they don't have in common is that they're not from the same place. Now, we do need to stop here because they were Jewish. That's why they're coming back for the Feast of Pentecost. But the problem with that is, is that Jews, not all Jews, liked each other. I know you're sitting there going, wait a minute, but they're Jews. They're, they're the ones that like separated themselves and the Gentiles were... But here's what's funny. Even in the objection that they make to the apostles during that, that first message, do you remember what they say? They say, but these guys are from Galilee. They're Galileans. Almost like that, like a Galileans. Right? Similar to if, you, if I told you that, hey, we're still in Katie, you're like, ah, oh, Cadians right? You're not East Bernard. So it's kind of what went on there. So we can't say that it's even that they have that in common, because obviously there's a little bit of disdain there for that. So it's not even that. Okay, well, maybe it's this. Maybe their economic status. No, it's not their economic status, because in chapter four, we're going to see that there are some land-owning people that are believing, and then there are those who are poor, and that's actually why they're selling their land, to help take care of those who are poor. So they don't have that in common. Well, Maybe it's their provincial sports teams. That's what it's got to be, right? They're all rooting for the Astros. Yes. 
No, that's not mentioned in the scriptures at all. So it can't, it can't be that. So if it's, not, if it's not where they're from, if it's not their economic status, if it's not even the sports team that they root for, what did the early church have in common? Well, it's easy. There's one thing. The early church had faith in what Jesus Christ had done for them. And that's what unites them. See, they had given their allegiance to the king. They had given themselves to his kingdom, and, and, and that's what they have in common together. And last week, we talked about how baptism is actually the ultimate expression of that. You remember? We talked about how when you get baptized back in that time, it was certain death. Because if you were seen, Jews or Romans could say, oh, that's a new religion. We can't have that. They're out. They're done for. And so they have this idea that they're putting themselves together, which makes sense if you're about to get killed. You would want to get together with people who are okay saying, hey, we believe the same things that you believe. We're going to be safe together. It makes sense. But they're declaring their allegiance to Jesus' new kingdom, and by default, the early church was setting themselves up against the Roman Empire and even to the Caesar himself. And I find this unity absolutely beautiful. It's just beautiful. Think about this for a second. As followers of Jesus, even now, you and I have more in common with one another, despite the fact that we might root for two different baseball teams. Go Cardinals. <laughs> I had to put it in there. We actually have more in common through our faith, even though we might have polar opposite positions politically. And it's no wonder when, we take, when the church takes its eyes off of what they have in common and their faith in Jesus Christ, that we lose power in our world, and in the culture. But look what happens here, because this beautiful first expression of the church is just amazing. The church is unified, and they take care of each other's needs. So, if it was, they're aligning themselves with Jesus as king, and their gratitude that he, for his sacrifice that spills over into how they treat one another. And this is always the way it is with God's kingdom. Our love for Jesus as king will always, always, always deepen our love for others. It helps us recognize where we, what we even have, where it comes from, because we recognize it doesn't come from us. It comes from God's own grace. So we're totally open-handed in our generosity. We want to give it away because we recognize how much God has actually given to us. So the first behavior, the first behavior of the early church shows us that genuine fellowship is dependent upon sharing with one another. The sharing with one another. So from Luke's account here, it's clear that the early church sold off their own possessions to help others who couldn't afford it. So Luke doesn't tell us, so it's a little unclear whether these people that are still here, if they're still here because they didn't go back home after Pentecost, or if these were just genuinely people who were poorer in the community and, and had needs to be able to be taken care of. But either way, for the church, the needs of their brothers and sisters in Christ became their own problem. I love how Jerry Bridges actually says it in his book, True Community. Listen to this. It's because we belong to one another and are members of the same body that we are to make each other's needs our own. If you belong to me, your needs become my needs, and my needs become your needs. When's the last time that you were willing to give up something of your own to take care of a brother or sister 
who is in desperate, desperate need. I was thinking about this this morning as, as, as Ronald was telling us about Katie Vestal. This is such a great opportunity for us to say, God, what, what I have, I know it's from you, and this family needs, they have a need, and we want to be able to be open-handed and generous with our needs. So some of you guys, you've met um, our community group. They've been here a couple of times for us. The very first time I actually preached here, they were here, they're actually on the, like the second row. They took up like the whole row, and everybody's like, whoa, that's kind of crazy. And then even last week, they were here to support me for my first Sunday uh, as, as, as leading the church. And uh, it's just such an incredible group. They have been a family to us. But there's an incredible story that came out of that group. Just uh, several weeks ago, uh, one of the members, of, uh, one of the families in our group, the father was in a really serious car accident. It totaled the car. It's the only car that they had. Um, the family didn't have any other car. Mom worked at home. Um, and so it was amazing to see what happened because his wife texted our group. And I mean, literally within 10 minutes, it was all figured out. Somebody was going to go get him from the accident because he couldn't get home. Somebody else had a car that they were dropping off at the house for him to be able to use for an extended amount of time, however, however long they needed. And someone else went to grab their kid who was still at school. That's the way the church is supposed to look. That's what it means to make your brother's need your own. You drop everything to help. So of the 19 times the Greek word for fellowship that we talked about a minute ago, koinonia, is used, it's overwhelmingly translated as shared. Therefore, the first behavior of authentic biblical fellowship is sharing with one another what God has given us. However, before we get kind of this idealistic notion that the early church had it all together and they were great and it was perfect, we got to understand that this actually value of generosity actually became something um, that gets one couple in particular in trouble. You might remember this, the names Ananias and Sapphira? Remember them? They had sold a piece of their property, had held some of the money back, and then they went and presented the rest of it to the apostles so that they could give it as needed. But they lied about it. And so this idea of generosity became something that was so valued, so important, that people were willing to stop their, keeping their focus on what the focus was supposed to be. What did we say that the focus was of the other church? Their faith in Jesus Christ. And instead of their faith being on Jesus they turned it on, well, I, I kind of want people to look at me and esteem me and respect me for my giving. And so we see them start to do things that they shouldn't do. Enter envy, jealousy, talking behind each other's back. All these things start to happen. And so that's why early on, the, Paul, the Apostle Paul has to address this. And so that's why we're going to look at Colossians 3. So turn with me to Colossians 3. We're going to start in verse 12. This is where we'll spend the rest of our time this morning. Colossians 3, beginning in verse 12. So therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another, if any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. 
Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So as sin entered the community, the real moment of truth arrives for the early church. How would they handle when someone offended them? How would they handle when they got jealous? How would they handle when somebody else seemed to rise into a position of leadership over them? What are they going to do? So what would they do when they found out someone was talking about behind their back even? Would they keep their focus on what they had in common or on their own interests and their own wants and their own desires? And this is why Paul points them back to the gospel. Look at verse 13. So Paul's already reminded the Colossians in the the verses just before this that their identity is now in Christ, that they're new people. They're not the people that they once were. They're a new creation. And, And they shouldn't act like they once did. Instead, as Jesus' kingdom people, Paul says they should care for one another by being compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, and patient. They're to bear with each other. It's actually quite interesting, Paul's use of the words patience and bear right there in verses 12 and 13, kind of back to back, because both of those words have to do with suffering in the Greek. In fact, the word patience there is macrothumia. It's a compound word of two words in Greek, the first one being macro, which I'm sure you probably are familiar with from some of your English classes, right, the suffix. It means large or lengthy, And then the second is thumia, which means heat or temper, which is, of course, where we get words like temperature or thermostat, those kind of things. So some of your translations actually might have a really good word here. It might actually say, instead of patience, it might say long-suffering. Anybody have long-suffering right there? Yeah, okay. So long-suffering. That's a great translation for this particular word. And it's actually quite fitting, given what Paul's about to say. Look at what he says next. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. See, God's own macrothumia towards us was that although we deserved death, although we deserved to be separated in his patience, his long suffering, he chooses to suffer with it himself. He chooses to die instead of getting revenge. So as the church, genuine fellowship with one another includes caring, like Paul describes here. Okay, look back at the Colossians passage again and look at verse 16 this time. So Paul exhorts the Colossians to let the message of the gospel dwell in you, make its home in you, inhabit. In other words, that is your address. That's where you're getting your mail. You are dwelling, letting him dwell in you, okay? So then... When that happens, the church is called to teach and admonish one another. Okay, I just want to stop and and call attention to something that Paul says here. Notice that he doesn't say, and listen to me as I teach you. He doesn't say, okay, I'm going to teach you something here. Listen to my teaching. What does he say? He says, teach each other. 
So he's telling the Colossian church that they're supposed to teach one another. So here's the thing. It's not just my role to teach the church. It's not just Pastor Ronald's role to teach the church. We're supposed to teach each other. We're supposed to be able to teach one another what it means to live this gospel-centered life. Now, you might say, but James, that's why we hired you. No, no, no. My role is to equip and empower you to do what God has asked you to do. And part of that might be for you to teach others. So some of you older men, you might need to find a young man to mentor. You might need to find some young man that needs someone to come alongside his life just to be able to offer godly spiritual wisdom in his life. And some of you women that are a little bit older, the women in this church, they need someone who can help them understand how to be a godly mom, how to be a godly wife, and possibly how to live and work as a godly woman. So you also are, are, are called to share in the responsibility of teaching, okay? So Paul says for them to teach, but then he also says another word. He says the word admonish. You see that word? So if you were to look up the word admonish in the dictionary, here's a couple of things that you would find. It could mean to rebuke, reprimand, warn, or advise, but because most of you are so perceptive and you've seen the two words I have up there already, you know that it's going to rhyme and so I like this word better. I like the word dare. Dare. The church is called to dare. So you remember when you were a, a little kid and you had your friends and y'all were just hanging out and you were like eating something maybe and one of your friends was like, I dare you to eat something crazy. Maybe, maybe it was something like this. You were putting together a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, right? Spread on the peanut butter. You've got the jelly. And they're like, I dare you to put a couple of jalapenos on there, Right? You're like, oh, gross. No way. Not going to do it. Mm-mm. No thank you. And then they would say those magic words. Oh, there it is. Yeah, I heard it, right? I triple dog dare ya. I don't know what it was with those words, right? Those words, all of a sudden, it was like magic, and you couldn't resist it because if you resisted it, you knew that there was like some cosmic force out there that all of a sudden, you were going to be cursed for the rest of your life if you didn't take that dare. Well, that's exactly what Paul is telling us that we're supposed to do here. We're supposed to dare one another in fellowship. So here, here's what this looks like. If you have a brother or sister in sin, oh yeah, here we go. If you have a brother and sister in sin, you dare them to, to come out of that sin, to live a godly lifestyle in Christ Jesus. This is the daring that we're supposed to do. Uh, or, or maybe it's this, maybe, maybe they have, uh, feel like they're being led by the Holy Spirit to do something that's way out of their comfort zone. They're going to have to take a step of faith, and it's, it's super crazy for them. Dare them to take the step, because this is what it looks like to be in godly fellowship with one another. But look at how Paul says that we're supposed to do this. He says, with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. So remember, at that time, the New Testament doesn't completely fully exist yet. Even as Paul is writing this letter, there are some of the Gospels that aren't finished yet. And so what happens is the early church had some hymns. I know we're much more contemporary, I understand that. But 
They had hymns that they were singing together as a church that they would say together. In fact, some of those are Philippians 2 and 1 Corinthians 11. They get written into uh, some of the letters and some of the gospels, but they are the things that are kind of binding them together as they come together. They repeat these things. They remember these things together. And one of the person who actually demonstrates this the best in my life is my wife. She's incredible at this, that she will, as she's praying for someone, some, some scripture will come to her mind or some song will come to her heart and she will immediately text that person. And she's like, I really feel like the Lord put this on my heart for you today and I, I just want to, I want to text you and let you know I'm thinking about you, but also I feel like the Lord would want you to hear this. And it's been amazing how many times they'll go, I cannot believe, it's perfect timing, Emily. Like I literally am in the middle of this situation. I don't know what to do. And you've just totally draft this song that just is so meaningful to me. This is what it looks like. That's exactly what we're supposed to be doing with each other, pushing each other back to Jesus. Okay, so finally, genuine fellowship is dependent on our prayers over one another. I told you, they're all going to run. So can I tell you why I think so many Christian communities eventually break apart? They let their once vibrant prayer life as a church, begin to be non-existent. See, when we neglect to pray for one another, we start to neglect all the other behaviors as well. When we stop putting others first by bringing them before the throne room of God, we stop wanting to share with them. We begin to find silly and petty things to be upset with them about, and we stop caring for them. Look at what Paul says in verse 17. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God. You know, this verse gets taken out of context so often, right? It's one of those things that we kind of put up on the wall and we say, all right, Junior, whatever you do this year, do it, do it for him. But the problem is that we're taking it out of the context of what Paul's trying to say here. Here's what he's really saying. Listen, as you love your brothers and sisters in Christ, whether that's by something that you say or teach or rebuke them, or if it's something you do in showing them kindness, remember them before God with gratitude and prayer. One commentary said it this way, and it's, it's a lot, so I'll break it apart. Those Christians who exercise themselves in thanksgiving soon come to possess a much vaster appreciation of the great salvation that's theirs in Christ. And this must also draw them into more appreciative fellowship with all those for whom Christ is the center of all their hopes. In other words, as we spend time in prayer thanking God for his sacrifice for us, we find ourselves becoming more grateful for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And let me ask you a question. Have you ever tried to pray for someone you're upset with? It is extremely difficult to stay mad at them when you're praying for them. And so what often happens is that God starts to reveal to you why the issue is there with you. What your problem is, not their problem, but what your problem is. He starts to point out how you may be offended them. So all of these behaviors foster genuine kingdom fellowship, and they revolve around one thing that Paul addresses right in the middle of this text. So look one more time with me at the Colossians passage, verse 14. 
And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So as we, as we share with one another and we live open-handed with the things that God has given us, and as we care for one another by forgiving each other of the offenses that we have, as we dare one another to live out this gospel-centered life, our fellowship shows unity to the world. And here's the most incredible part if we will do this as a church. Here's the most incredible part. It literally embodies Jesus' own prayer for the church in John 17. Listen to what he prays. I pray that all of them, that's those who are going to believe in the message of the apostles, that they may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity, and listen to this, then the world will know you sent me. The world will know you sent me. If we will have fellowship like this, if we'll be one like this. So listen, church, Jesus' prayer was that his followers would become one, and we become one through having fellowship like we just talked about today. That unity shows the lost, the truth about who Jesus really is. Now, there's one other aspect of all these behaviors that I have to mention. See, these behaviors absolutely protect biblical community, but they don't come naturally. We're still sinners, sinful nature, changing into who God wants us to be. And as with everything in the Christian life, it takes developing. And to develop them, we have to be, catch this word, intentional. We have to be intentional in developing. And we have to ask the Holy Spirit to lead us toward them. So maybe this morning you're realizing you've never really allowed yourself to be present with a group that will cause you to have to live out these particular behaviors. We have groups that you can get involved in. Whether it's a dinner eight group, it's a men's group, a women's Bible study, there's a place for you to begin practicing genuine community. Maybe you need to take that as a first step. I encourage you to do it. Grab some information from the lobby. I've already told uh, Deborah this morning uh, to be ready just in case there's some people that want to come and talk to her about dinner eight. If you want to grab Pastor Ronald, if you want to grab me, we would love to help you get plugged into a group this morning to start living this out. Or maybe you're already involved in a group, but you feel the Lord convicting you this morning of one of these behaviors in particular. Pastor Ronald and I, we're going to be around, and we want to be able to pray with you over it, that God would begin to develop it in you the way that it's supposed to. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for this church, God. We want to be a church that is committed to fellowship. This type of fellowship, God, where we share open-handedly with what we have. God, where we care for one another by forgiving. God, by treating others the way we want to be treated. God, by daring each other to live out a radical, sold-out, kingdom oriented life to Jesus. And finally, God, we, we just admit that we want to be people of prayer. 
So Father, would you do that in us? God, would you help us to take the step towards you by the power of your Holy Spirit to begin to become this kind of fellowship? We pray this in Jesus' name. If you have questions about this week's message or would like to start a conversation with someone about what it means to walk with Christ, please email pastor at cfeb.church. You can find earlier episodes of our podcast on our website at cfeb.church, where you can also give online to help support community fellowship in our mission to reflect and share Christ's love. We can also be found on many major distribution platforms like Apple Podcasts, where you can subscribe to stay connected. Thank you again for listening. Now go out and love one another like Jesus did.